Hello. I'm going to excuse myself, Nicodem. I have a wedding tonight, so as soon as the class is over, I'm going to go say mazel tov. So, this is actually uh, one of the most, oh, I, it, I can't even describe how powerfully this chapter hit me because it's all about captives and it's so incredibly achshavi, it's so incredibly relevant, Perik Lamed. The penultimate chapter, the second to last chapter of Shmuel Aleph. And um, yeah, it's just uh, really, I kind of feel like the uh, <coughs> halavai, halavai factor, halavai that, that we would be able to free our captives the way David freed his. And we'll look at the story. I don't know why. Am I blurred to you or just to me? Yeah, you're blurred a little bit. Not stopping. How do I bring that into focus? Where it says backgrounds and effects. You probably chose blur by accident. That's better now. Sorry, yeah, now it's fine. I don't hear fine you. Fine now. I don't know what you did, but it's fine. Okay. Okay. So, Parak Labid, <coughs> what have we been up to? So, we've been following the uh, chase of um, Shaul chasing David for many chapters. And <coughs> As we're coming to the the end of this sad saga, we um, we found David escaping from the land of Israel to the Plishtim and becoming very friendly with Achish, the king of Gat, which is very ironic. But Achish seems to be well disposed to David, and they seem to be friendly. <coughs> Achish wants him to come to, with him to war. And David seems to be able to fool Achish for a reasonably long time into uh, thinking that David's on his side. And this comes to a head in chapter 28. In chapter 28, um, <coughs> I'm sorry, chapter 29, Achish says, you know, um, my, I want you to come with me and be my bodyguard. And he's on his way to fight Shaul in the north. And this is a very big dilemma for David. And we're not sure what he plans to do. Does he plan to stay out of trouble, the Abarbanel says, or does he plan to um, fight for the Jews in a way that Achish won't recognize? But <coughs> Hashem hears his dilemma and makes sure that the, the soldiers are so intensely... Um, um, suspicious that they say, what What do we have this man here for? Send him home. And Achish very apologetically sends David back. And this is all hashkacha because what we found in the chapter 28, so chapter 28 was a digression from our focus on David and we focused there on Shaul. Shaul is on the eve of his last war, completely desperate, no uh, no communication with God. He he doesn't know what's his next step. And he ends up going to the uh, Balat Oh, the sorcerer, the witch of Endor. And um, when we see the end of that chapter, <coughs> you see that Shoal is being told that, you know, this is the last battle and he's going, he's going to, to fall the next day and his three sons. And we... We, Rabbi Bazak points this out, we know in chapter 29 that David cannot be at that battle. If David is at the battle in Har Gaboa, where Shoal dies, David is going to be blamed. There's no question about it. Like there's everyone knows that there's bad blood between David and Shaul, and it's going to be his fault. So it's a very, very important thing for David 
not to be anywhere near that battle. So Bahashkacha Hashem sends him away, and I'm sure David is greatly relieved to go back home. However, things are not so great back home. So let's screen share, and we'll look at the text. Okay, so first of all, I usually show you this text first. You see, we have from Pasuk Aleph to Pasuk Kaphei, a narrative, 25 second of narrative. And from Chavav to Laman Aleph is a little bit of a, a song. A little bit, well, I don't know how much time we'll have for it, but it's it's set as a song. We'll, we'll explain. There's se several parts to this story. And <coughs> first of all, they come back at first, like six Sukkim, they find out that their town on Tiklag has been raided and everyone taken captive. And then David um, asks the Urbatuli what to do and he goes after them. They find a um, an Egyptian who had been a slave of Amalekim and he directs them and they go and they save their captives. At the end, what David does with the spoils of war and everything like that, that's the end of the story. So we'll go to, um, first I want to show you the map. Okay, because it's always important to get the geography. David has gone up north with Achish. The Battle of, Gil of Gilboa takes place in the Jezreel Valley that's going up there. David does, I don't know if he ever gets up there that far, but now he's coming back down and his men are at Ziklag. Achish had generously given him Ziklag as a place to settle. This is a uh, town that David has kind of set up there, pretty much a, a government in exile. And he has his people and his commanders and um, very great warriors, and he also has a number of um, malcontents and disaffected people. So he has a kind of uh, mixed bag of followers, but that's what he has. And he comes back to Ziklag with them. And this is the Philistine territory. See, this is Aza. And when they get back, Pasuk Aleph, Oh, let's go back here. Um, okay. And David came, David came with his men to Tziklag on the third day. And the Amalek spread out El Negev, El Tziklag, They come back. It's taken them three days they've been up north and they come back to Tziklag expecting, you know, everything to be as usual. And they find that the Amalek people had come and raided to the south and they had struck Tziklag and burnt it in fire. Okay, I'm going to get into a little bit of the story and then we can talk about the whole idea of Amalek and what's happening there. Classic Ben. But Yishbu Tanashim and they took captive the women that were in it from young to old. They did not kill anyone, but they <coughs> drove them all along and they went on their way. And David and his men came to the city and it's burned in fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters are taken captive. And David and all the people with him raised up their voices and they cried until they had no strength in them to cry. And this is their reaction. They're absolutely horrified, and I think we can relate. Um, I don't think they had any way of knowing that no one had been um, harmed. But um, when your family's taken captive, 
you don't really know what's happened to them. And David's two wives were also taken captive, Achinoam of Israel and Abigail, who had been wife of Naval of Carmel. <coughs> now, the Mincha Kitana, um, which is a rabbi Frankfurter, Frankfurt, um, he makes an interesting statement. He says, like, why are we mentioning his wives there are bechlal, they are included in all of the wives and sons and daughters. And he says, well, it was probably a very great prize for the Amalekim to take David's wives, um, A, because they're, they're the queens, and B, they're very beautiful, and um, it's, a t it's a tremendous blow for David. Okay. Excuse <coughs> me a second. Okay, so the first thing we have to figure out is what's Amalek doing here? Didn't Shaul wipe out Amalek in chapter 15? And if we go back to chapter 15, we remember that there were, you know, there's Midrashim. Midrashim that only um, Agag was left alive. <coughs> he managed to father a child that night. And so we, you know, we came up with Haman you know, years and years later. But this is not such a long time after the episode of Amalek. And there's hundreds of Amalek. How do we understand this? So there's another medrash. And the other medrash is that the Amalek were sorcerers and they were able to turn themselves into animals. And when Shaul didn't kill the animals, the Amalek hid his animals and they all ran away. This is all midrashic, but in a strange way, the, the midrash doesn't actually answer all our questions because there seem to be many, many Amalekim here. And we have to figure out on, on a simple level, on a shot level, how this can be. So many commentators, I give you two ideas. Um, the first idea, a number of commentators say that there were different tribes of Amalek. And Shoal, um, you know, wiped out one tribe, but there were many, many other tribes. They're like nomads and they're everywhere. And so this was another tribe of Amalek. Um, Rabbi uh, Leaptag has a very, very um, profound uh, thought on this, and I think that in view of what's going on in the world, it's something that we should speak out. And that is that although Amalek started as a, you know, descendant of Asab, you know, he was, you know, the son of Eliphaz, um, Asab's grandson, and so there's a genetic thing that the Amalek are descendants of Asab. On the other hand, at a certain point in time, that idea of Amalek stop being, you know, based on your DNA and more on your behavior. What do we mean? So the way that by Leib Tag explains it, and I think um, till today we could really understand that Amalek is a philosophy. Amalek is a type of behavior. Amalek is a a um, it's a way of thinking. And the basic qualities of Amalek are cruelty, cowardice, evil, and um, general idea that attacking defenseless and vulnerable people is the way to go. So <clears throat> Amalek in the time of the Tanakh <coughs> Interestingly enough, we find them everywhere. If you remember in, in Shoftim, when we were doing Sefer Shoftim, Eglon, the king of Moab, he makes a deal with Amalek. Midian, fighting uh, Gidon, Midian has Amalek. Now, if you look at the map, right, right. a more general map. Generally speaking, Amalek is down south here. But they ally themselves with Moab, 
in the East, right, in the time of Shoftim, chapter 3, they ally themselves with Midian, who come from Saudi Arabia area all the way up north and fight Gidon over here in the north. So they're, they're you know, equal opportunity marauders. But if you look uh, at the 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 um, description of them, Mechavila at shore. Chavila is uh, Mesopotamia, way up north, northeast, and Shur is closer to Egypt, down uh, in the southwest. That's an important trade route. This is Rabbi Leibtag's theory, which I really like. He says they are basically pirates. They they're not like a nation. They don't have like a regular army. They're bands of Bedouin nomad types. They live in tents and they prey on parties of travelers, defenseless types, people who can't fight back. They take them captive. They take their, their money. And this is how they live. <coughs> they thrive on other people's uh, property. And that's kind of behavior. They're hedonistic and they're cruel. And we'll see in this in this story exactly how that plays out. Just for one second, we can look at Parashat Zahar. Asher Karcha Badera, right? Zahar says the Shersal Hamalik, right? Asher Karcha Badera, they cooled you off on the way. You were really going great and they stopped that. And they cut off the tails of all the weak that were after you. And you were tired and weary, below your Elohim, and not God-fearing. Now, the implication here, not God-fearing, that refers to a Amalek. One of the things that characterizes a Amalek is they don't fear God. Now, of course, it has enough, a little bit of a, you know, a hint here that the Jews have to fear God as well, but it is a characteristic of a Amalek, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But you see, God tells us when we have rest from our other enemies, right, we should wipe out the memory of a mullet. We should wipe out that evil. Now, if you think about all the places that we know that are low Yerei Elohim, Abraham tells Abimelech, Abimelech says, look, why did you pretend to choose your sister? And Abraham says, you know, there's no fear of God. He's not talking about religion. He's talking about ethical and moral behavior. If there's a place that's Hefker, that people do whatever the heck they want, they have no problem stealing and things like that. You know, the, you know, <coughs> unethical behavior runs rampant. That's not the thing. That's not a particular religion. That's just a kind of, um, you know, what my grandfather used to call Hefker Petrushka, which I never knew what that meant. Whatever, like do whatever. Yosef says on, he doesn't mean I'm, I'm a religious Jew. He means I'm an ethical, moral person, right? The 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 midwives, we find out, Shifra and Pua, right? So we have this idea of God-fearing thing. That there seems to be um, a tremendous contrast between the behavior of the Jew and the behavior of a Amalek. Jews are known to be Rahmanim Baishanim Kaumlihasadi, we're merciful, we do chesed, we're we're um, bashful, and Amalek are in your face, they don't care, they're evil, they're cowardly, they have no um, restraint, they're totally immoral. The question is like what's going on with Amalek, with Shaul, Shaul's um, downfall comes about because he's not able to finish the job with Amalek. It's, it resonates so much today because we, we see that every single time we have mercy on these cruel and you know immoral, evil cowards, it comes back to bite us, right? And it ends up that, that you know the, the merciful are hurt. It's a very sad story, but that is really the nature of Amalek. So, I'm just bringing you this, these two theories. One is that there are different tribes of Amalek, and this is a different tribe. And two is that Amalek at this point is becoming becoming a an idea as opposed to a specific nation. Something to think about. Okay, so the question is, why did they burn Siklag, Dafka? And 
um, Radak, the Malbe, most of the first understand that somehow they understood that the raiding parties that David was sending out are coming from Tziklag. And so they were kind of punishing it. They don't want David back there. And this is a very big problem for David for many, on many levels. So let's go on. David is extremely upset. <laughs> People wanted to stone him. They were all very bitter about their children. And it's, it's really important to understand this because, first of all, why they want to st stone David. Okay, so if you look at the first and first you say, <coughs> um, why didn't you leave somebody to guard our families? Okay, the Dath Mikra kind of prophetically calls it a mechdal. It was a mess up, made a big mistake, didn't um, put in place enough protection for your people. And so they were attacked. And so they're angry at David. And it makes actually sense because David is the leader. And, you know, I, whoever the leader is, the buck stops here, Truman said. The buck stops here. The leaders have to take responsibility. If there's a mess up, they have to say, I messed up. I'm sorry. Let's try to fix it. Can't dance around and blame everybody else. And David is not that type. He's not going to blame everybody else, but it's very, very painful for him. In addition to the, the pain that he's feeling, that his wives are captive, that there's been this whole destruction of the city that he's built up, and there's been this, this whole um, disaster, right? And it, it's it like, what choice did he have? You know, Akash is going to be charged, and Akash told him to come, and he perhaps didn't have time to think about protecting the people, and um, they're angry with him. Now, the Dath Mikra of Kiel, Professor Kiel, makes a very, very important comparison between David's reaction to these circumstances and Shoals. And it's very sad because it says here, David, Maod. David was extremely upset. He was very, very upset. And it says, And David strengthened himself with his God. If you recall, what did Shaul do when he was so upset? Um, right, he says to the ghost of Shmuel, Sarli Maod, Sarli Maod, I'm very distressed. What does Shaul do when his Sarloma owed? No one answers him. He has destroyed the Kohanim, so they're not going to help him. And God is angry at him. God doesn't answer him. Right? Instead of going to ask God in legitimate ways, in halachic ways, dominating, praying, asking God, doing tshuva, he goes to something that's completely halachically usher, to the Balat Ov. But here we see by David David strengthens himself with God. And here is where we see, and in this chapter particularly, we see David, um, his connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu just gets stronger and stronger. And everything that happens to him is a way for him to express it and to talk to God. So the Medrash in the uh, if I'm not mistaken, let's see. Um, yeah, Bayikra Rabba <clears throat> connects this to Havzayin, the David Hashem Oviyashi, a very <coughs> favorite and popular. This is more. There's still something still left in my voice for this time. The David Hashem Oviyashi, Mimiwa. God is my light and my salvation. I won't be afraid. Hashem ma'oz chayai. Hashem is the strength of my life. So the Medrash says, when it says, evil people 
come to attack me, my flesh that refers to his wives, they will fall. And they do, they come against him at the camp. Rashi here says the Lord is the uh, uh, I'm going to trust in Hashem. And it's it's a very, very beautiful uh, explanation and a very, very powerful parak, a way to connect to um, faith when when you feel attacked. Whenever you're threatened or scared, that's the time to be mitchazek Hashem. It's the time to say, Hashem, I need your help. And that is uh, exactly what David is about to do. And um, this particular... This particular Mizmor Hafzayin is tremendous in times of difficulty. David immediately says, I have to find out what a Kaddish Baruch wants. And here we have, again, when he connects to God, that's his, that's his go-to. It's not, okay, how do I do this? What way do I deal with this? It's, he never relies on himself. David is always connecting to Kadesh Baruch Hu. That's who he is. Shall I chase after this uh, battalion? Will I catch up to them? By Yomer Lo, Hashem answers him. Rudolf, he has chased after them because you will indeed catch up with them, and you will indeed save. In other words, and I think it's a very interesting thing because the Gemara in Yoma, if I get the right Gemara here, talks about the correct way to ask the Umen the Ur Betumen. Okay, how does one consult the Umatuma? The one asking stands with his face toward the one asked, toward the Kohen, and the Kohen looks down toward the Urumatuma. And the person who asks this question, right, right away takes our example from this parak. And the one who's asked answers him and says, go up. But now, um, one does not ask about two matters simultaneously. <laughs> An interesting thing that if you recall back um, when David was asking about, you know, he went to help the people of Keilah because the Plishtim were attacking them. And he said, is Shaul going to come down? And should I, will the people give me over? And the one between them, they only answers one question at a time. As if to say, no, David, you have to ask one question at a time. And here, David asked two questions. Hashem is generous with his answer. Not only does it answer both questions, but a Kaddish Baruch who also volunteers that it will be successful. Chase them? It says, David asks, shall I chase them? Question one. Shall I uh, catch up with them? Question two. And Hashem says, yes, chase them? Answers the first question. You will uh, catch them? Answers the second question. And you will say, which is like a totally... Uh, you know, uh, a free gift that he gives David. Yes, you, you will be successful. And the Chavetz Chaim goes to this Pasuk and says, this shows you that Bitachon is rewarded. A Kaddish Baruch who helps him because he has Bitachon. Pasuk Teth. Vayelach Zavid hu b'sheish merach isha sheri tavayavo adnachal absor v'anotarim amadu. And David went with the 600 men that were with him, and they came to this Nahal Besor, and the ones that were left stood there. This is a problematic passage. Let me just give you a good, and we'll see. And David pursued with 400 men, and there stood there 200 men that Pigru, they were uh, weak, left behind, Right, and they didn't cross Nachal Besor. So we go back to our map. Okay, this is Nachal Besor. It cuts across from the Mediterranean. It cuts across Aza and goes south. 
so Dub and his men are going south toward the Amalekite territory from Ziklag. And when they get to Nahabasur, there's 200 men who say, like, we're not going any further. And it seems to be said twice. And the Persian are uh, concerned about why does it say twice. Um, and they, there's a very interesting discussion about this. I just want to switch you over here to Divrei Yamim Chronicles. Now, this chapter 12 in the first book of Divrei Yamim talks about the people that came to join David. People came to join David at Ziklag while Shaul was still alive, while he was hiding from Shaul. And it goes on and it's it just describes people from so many different tribes, not just Yehuda. People from Binyamin. What? From Shaul's tribe, right? And here from um uh, Here. Tell you from B'nai God, right? B'nai Menashe. It goes through the list B'nai Binyamin, B'nai Yehuda. And these are great, great warriors going back to our passage. So, um, so some of the theories are that the great warriors just arrived at Siklag and stayed there and didn't follow because their families weren't captives. That actually, I don't really understand that because the Gibberim would join. But the Abarbanel's theory works better for me. Abarbanel says there were elderly people, there were young people that people weren't able to follow. They stayed in Siklag. And then when they got to Nachabasor, they said, we will remain here with equipment so that you will be able to follow faster. So we have that also when David comes to fight Goliath, there's a Shomer Kalim. There are people who watch the Kalim. Now this becomes very important later in the Perak, so bear that in mind. Meantime, David chases with the four hundred men. And here comes an interesting twist. They find an Egyptian in the field. They gave him some bread to eat and some water. And they gave a pel a dvela is um figs. So um it's like a, a cake made of figs. It's used in other uh, places in the Tanakh, right? And a piece of a fig cake. And Shnaitsimu can only mean two raisins, but probably two clusters of raisins. He ate it, but Tasha Ruchoelav and his uh, koach came back to him. There's another um, Gemara I wanted to show you in Yoma. Um, the sages taught in the Brighta, in the case of one who was seized with Bulmas, remember we spoke about Bulmas when David um, gets to Achimelech, he's just starving. There's like a condition where you have to eat. It's like it's like life threatening. Um, you give him sweets, right? And this returns the light of their eyes, like it says with Yom Tzadim. Remember in chapter 14, when he touched the staff to the bit of a honey, and his eyes lit up, right? And here, and this is for Neely, they taught that honey restores one eye, said only after eating other food, okay? This has to be dessert. <laughs> Let's do this the healthy way, right? Um, they found an Egyptian man in the field. They brought him to David. They gave him bread. He ate. They gave him water. They gave him a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins and he ate. And his spirit was restored. For he had eaten no bread, no drunk any water for three days and three nights. And it's very, very interesting because we know, <coughs> actually, um, this is something that, you know, um, my sister will corroborate. We heard this about my grandfather, Zichol Rahamite. Grandfather survived Auschwitz, my mother's father, and he hid under a bunker for three days. I believe he was 36 kilo when they found him, the Russians found him, and he hadn't eaten anything for three days and three nights, very biblical. And they gave him a little bit to eat, and they said, you have to be careful because 
the French and the Americans give people too much to eat or they can't handle it and they, they die from the too much food. That's a kind of a, an important thing to know. Health-wise, if a person has been sick or in some way or, or hasn't eaten properly, that we have to be very, very careful how we feed them. Now, this poor Egyptian had not eaten and had not drunk for three days and three nights. And when his spirit comes back to Pasuket, whose are you? In other words, it's clear that you're someone's slave. From where are you? I am an Egyptian. Now, Nair here um, does not necessarily mean a young man, but a person in service. Rabbi Yaakov talks about this, how the, you know, Yoshua is a Nair at the age of 50-something. Nair means in service. Um, I'm a slave to this uh, Amaleki man. Now, first of all, there's this kind of weird irony here that... Um, <coughs> that the Egyptian is the slave because, you know, we were slaves to the Egyptians and they help this Egyptian because it says in the Torah directly, you are not allowed to hate a mitzvah, you are a stranger in his land. But even so, think about this, David and his men are on a mission. They don't have time, but they stop everything to take care of this dying Egyptian. And here, this story highlights the incredible contrast between a Jew and an Amaleki. Because he says to him, Gimel, I got sick three days ago and my master abandoned me. Think of the cruelty of this Amalek master. Oh, he's sick, who needs him? Leaving him to die in the desert of thirst and hunger. It's kind of mind-boggling. And along comes David and his people. I mean, the cruelty of this, the cruelty of this, it's so disturbing. They're so awful. And, and this is a Malik. This is what we're up against, the, the evil in the world. Very sad. <clears throat> and he explains to David. <coughs> we went and we... We looted the south of the Kwezi and the south of Yehuda and the south of Kali and Siklak we burned in fire. It's given Dave David a complete analysis of the troop movements, if you could call them that, of Amalek. So what did Amalek do? Now, Negev Kwezi, Rashi says, is Plishtim, Kwezi of Plishtim. Here you have a guy, okay? Think about these people. Here is the map, okay? The Plishtim have gone up north to fight Shaul. Other Jews have gone up north to help Shaul. And so the Amali, the celebration time, they attack Plishti towns, they raid them. They attack um, Yehuda towns, Hebron, which is Kalev's area, all the, the south of Yehuda. And then they come to Tziklag and they particularly destroy it by fire because they have beef with David. So you have them, they've just done all this damage. This is what they've been up to. David asked him, will you take me down to these people? And the guy is freaked out. He says, you have to swear to me that you won't kill me and you won't give me back to my master. Now it's very interesting because we don't see that David actually swears. <coughs> and it seems as if it's not necessary to swear because, you know, it's it's considered a shuat shab, it's against halacha, to return an escaped slave to his master. David's not going to do that. But it brings him down. They're spread out all over their territory and they're eating and they're drinking and they're partying. But all the loot that they took from the Plishtim and from Yehuda, they are hedonistic. They don't care about anything. They're celebrating their great victory. People who are such cowards, they only attack when there's nobody to protect. 
and it's not a fair fight, so we might call it a fair fight if there's such a thing. But that's, you know, and that's what they're celebrating. And these are the low likes that we uh, unfortunately have to deal with. And David struck them. Now, Neshef, eh, Neshef is like an evening. Like it's, a, it's also like an evening. In modern Hebrew, is like a, a party, an evening party, Neshef. And it's a strange word, but it seems to mean like twilight. From Neshef ad ha'erev l'machavatam. It sounds like David was fighting them for 24 hours. That's what it seems like from evening to evening on the next day. Nobody escaped. David strikes them completely. And um, the only people left, 400 men got onto camels and fled, which kind of doesn't sound like the greatest way to flee, but apparently camels can run at 40, 40 miles an hour. Who knew? Who knew? I think 40 miles, 40 kilometers, in any case, they went away. So the number 400 should strike a bell with you. There's a beautiful medrash here. Uh, yeah. Okay. You remember that Asaph comes to meet Yaakov with 400 men. And at the end of the story, Asaph goes home to Seir. And the medrash asks, Right? Where are Asaph returned on that day on his way to Seir? And the 400 men who were with him, where were they? Each and every one left on his way. They said, let us not be burnt in Jacob's coals. You see the, the Hebrew. Uh, a, a different version of the same Medrash. They were... The angel said, we're messengers of Yaakov. They struck them. All right. Not a man. So when did God pay them back for leaving Esau? When did the Holy Blessed One be he repay them? It was elsewhere. Not a man of them escaped except for 400 lads who rode on the camels and fled. Right. So that's what it says. That's when they got paid back in our story here, when the 400 escaped, which is an interesting uh, thing to think about that Kaddish Baruch Hu rewards all good deeds, even, even a, a cowardly deed here. The Medrash says they were chased away by Malachim, but God rewards them for that, even though it happens much, much later. Okay, Pasukir Chet. Vayatzel David et kol ashelaku Amalek. And David saved everything that Amalek took. Vetshtem ashel kitzil David. And he saved his two wives. Pasukir Chet. Velo nedar lahem min hakaton ad hagadol v'ad banim u'banot. U'mishalol v'ad kol ashelaku lahem hakol v'shiv David. Nothing was missing, not from the smallest to the oldest, not the sons and not the daughters, not the property. Everything that they took, David returned. Halavai, halavai, halavai. We should be able to say that everyone returned. And it, it echoes a few other stories about David. When David goes out to Goliath, <coughs> And he, he, he has to convince Shaul to let him go. <coughs> he goes after a little lamb and he fights off the lion and the bear. And um, the, the men of Nabal, they tell Abigail, nothing was missing. Well, David's men were watching us. Nothing was missing. Now, if we think about this, this is number this. First of all, this is a great miracle. It's a great miracle because what's to stop a band of marauders from like killing people? <coughs> so the Mefarshim say this is all Hashgach Hashem because Hashem loves David. 
and nobody was hurt, nobody was killed, and the the mincha katana. I forgot to say that um, Rabbi Frankfurt who said that, and many follow him on this thought <clears throat> that we see from the fact that they, we were just talking about that captivity, that nothing else happened to them. They weren't hurt, they weren't abused in any way, and um, and that's. That's what the doc says, and that's what the rabbi says, and that's what the Malbim says. Hashem protected them because of uh, their merit and David's merit. Now, Rabbi Litek has another take on it, which also found very interesting. He said, the reason they didn't kill anybody is because they want to sell everybody to slavery. That's, that's their modus operandi. That's how they get their money. They capture people, they sell them to other people, and they take the money. So um, wouldn't it be worth their while to just slaughter indiscriminately? But um, that's a more practical. Of course, it's true that this is great hashgacha and great a great miracle that nobody was hurt and everything was taken back. <coughs> so, right, that's all coming from Hashem, guys. David took all the flocks and the cattle and they drove them along, which is a very strange phrase, before the flocks, before those flocks. And they said, this is David's loop. How do we understand that? It's a very, very strange comment. Like what, right? So I don't have this for you here, but I have it in my trusty Zucker, the Maharikara. And he says very simply, which I really liked, this Tataka, he says, um, why was it called Shlaldabid? Um, all of the flocks that Amalek took from Siklag and the people who dwelt in the Negev, right? They took all that stuff. But the rest of the Shalal, right? The stuff that was left over beyond what everyone was taking back their own property, right? That they said, that's Shalal David. That is for David. And you have to remember that the people of Tziklag, they had their families and they had their property, but the Amaleki had raided all over Yehuda and all over the Pushtim. So there's a lot of stuff, more such that this is David's stuff. Now, what does David do? There's two very interesting incidents here. Um, the first one, uh, very telling and very important, and David came to the 200 men. Remember, we left 200 men at the river. I told you, pay attention. That's important. By Yoshibu Menachavisor, the ones that David had settled at Nachavisor, at that river. By Yetu Lekratzev, and I come out to greet David, Lekratzev Amasherito, and to greet the people that were with him. By Yigash David to Amre, Shalom Shalom. And David goes out to greet them, you know, with, with affection. How are you? How you doing, guys? Are you feeling better? Because we understood that they didn't continue pursuit because they were too weak. Now, the word Vayan, it either means to answer or it means to speak up. So there isn't, they're not really answering what David, David goes and greets these people with great warmth. And then all of a sudden these people speak up. Now, the word Lial, okay, we used this word before. We started in the beginning of Sefer Shmuel with the sons of Eli, B'nai Blial. And there Rashi said, They had no yoke, Y-O-K-E. Unrestrained, evil, and rotten people. This in every crowd, there are people with big and nasty mouths. And you had that in, in the Midbar, the Erev Rab. There's always people. And then Yamim, the, the excerpt that I showed you, chapter 12, 
tells you one after another the great heroes that were with David. The great with David, but there's bad guys in here. And we saw when Shaul was uh, brought out as king, the, the evil people said, how is he going to help us? <coughs> there's always the naysayers and the big mouse and the complainers. And these people say, they didn't come with us to war. Why should we give them what we saved? Everyone take their own family and goodbye. And this is a very, very um, selfish, you know, um, uh, what's the word? Arrogant. It's an arrogant and, you know, uh, evil attitude. Oh, they, they just stayed there. So why should they get anything? Right? We're the ones who fought the war. And here is like one of the, the charms of David. He's a diplomat. He says, guys, my brother, not like that. He's polite. He's nice. But no, no. No, no, no. It's a share time Hashem Lanu. What did you say in Passover? We saved it? Excuse me? Excuse me? Who saved it? Right? God watched us. God gave us. God gave them in our hand. This is not your loot. This is a present from Hakadosh Baruch Hu. and David's attitude is so right. We saw that in so many other places, where you know this is the kochiva otzmiadi. This is the arrogance that brings upon the Jewish people disaster. The people who say, "Well, I'm the one who won the Six Day War because I have a great army," right? Right? Instead of saying thank you, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, for every great thing that Hakadosh Baruch Hu does for us. And he and David says to Haftalim, "Who who's gonna who's gonna go along with such a thing? That's not how we work." The people who watch the stuff are gonna get their share, and the people who go to war are gonna get their share. And this is a tremendous lesson for us. Tremendous because everybody has a share. Everybody has a part to play. You don't have to be on the front. You can be the learner. You can be the dominer. You can be the contributor. You can be the baker. You can be the comforter. We see Klai Yisrael today in Tabo in the war that we're fighting, which are kind of, it's all mushing in my mind, David's battle and what we're dealing with today. The people are all trying to contribute any way they can. Their share is also great even if they're not on the front lines. And you can't take this attitude that because we were in the war, so we are the ones who get the stuff. And it's very interesting because this became the law of David, from that day, but it doesn't say from that day forth, from that day and before even, that was the law, right? And why? Lamala, because we go back to Reishis, where Avram says to Melo Stone, right? I'm not going to take anything. Because the king of stones says, you give me the people, you take the stuff. And Avram says, no, 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 not me. I don't take anything. Only what the youths ate, the chela kanashim asherukuiti, the people who went with me, aner eshkol marmehemi kulachakab. And Rashi says here, right, the people who stayed and watched aner eshkol marme, they watch the stuff, they get their share, and David learns from them. This is the Rashi and Rashi's. So we have this important, important precedent that David says. Right? This is a bad attitude. This is a an arrogant, I'm in charge attitude. It's a not godlike attitude. It's a, uh, a divisive attitude. We don't want that kind of thinking. We want the 
everyone to feel that they're playing their role and everyone to care about everybody else. And that's the way it's going to be. And that's when we see that, um, you know, David is, you know, growing in his leadership. He takes these people, they want to stone him. They're so angry, they want to kill him. And he calms them down, saves everybody, manages to pull them out of this like evil mindset. And it's just an incredible um, thing to see how David is growing into his leadership and his greatness <coughs> and his closest to Hashem and his Sitkas. And the last section here, Pasukavba, Bayovo David El Tziklan. And David sent, he gets back with Ziklag, and all that stuff that was the excess that he had taken from, uh, he doesn't want the stuff. Now it's important to understand that Shaul was told to destroy everything because Shaul was was being, was showing, supposed to be showing the world that we're not in this fight for the stuff. But David is rescuing stuff that had been stolen from people. So it's not the same thing. And he actually doesn't take anything for himself, which is quite amazing. But he sends it away, he sends it to the elders of Yehuda, right? He gives kavod to elders. It's Yireh Hashem Achabed. He honors those who are elders. And he says, this is Shalal from the enemies of God, not from our enemy, the enemies of God, Amalek and Hamas, they are enemies of God. And that is a present. This is what God has sent for you. And the cities that he sends to are cities that are chiefly in the south, and they're chiefly Yehuda and Shema. If you look in um, Joshua, you can compare. <laughs> if you look at this edition, you'll see that it's it's oh Peric. You'll see that it's written like a song. It's like in a it's kind of got that kind of um flow, right? And if, if you remember the 31 kings, there's a certain um kind of victory song here. Look what I'm able to give to you people. Beit El, Ramot Negev, Yatir, Asher, Aroer, not to be confused with the one on the East Bank. Sifmot, Asher, Be'eshtemoa, Rachel, Arei, Rachmael, if you remember that that's where um, David told Achish that he'd been raiding. Arei HaKeni, the Keni descendants of Yisrael, Horma, Borashan, Batzach, and Hebron, which is where Kalev's uh, territory is. Let's go back to the Farshim, right? Mitsuda says, Rashi says, All these cities are places that help David. We have only looked at the places that betrayed David. But look, there were many cities that hid him and helped him. And there he's doing the Hakarasato. You guys helped me. And I've now made this great victory. I have all this stuff. And this is a gift from um, the Shalal of the enemies of God. So this, this whole um, section here is like a victory song. David is... Uh, has won like his first major battle and he saved all his people. And especially Hebron is going to be the seat of David's kingship for the first seven years of his rule. We're heading into David's um, kingship, which is not, you know, it's not completely uh, a smooth traveling now. <coughs> but you see that this is how he ends. He gets all this stuff and he gives it away to elders, to people who helped him, and you see the shining and um, amazing midot of David and of his his gebura, and how Kadosh Baruch Hu helps him because of his 
connection to God and his great filot. And I stop the share for at a time. <clears throat> and um, ladies, I'm gonna have to run right away because I do have a wedding and I'm gonna run over there. Say Mazel tov. So, okay, if anyone has any questions or thoughts, please just put it in the chat because I'd, I'd be happy to see that, but I'm gonna have to close it all down, bad guys. Um, Thank you. Next Thank you. Last chapter. So come with a piece of cake and a drink. So uh, we'll have a little see. I mean, really, it's not the end of Shmuel. It's the end of Shmuel. But we will have to celebrate because why not? Okay, guys. Thank you. And Mazal Tov. Take care. Bye-bye.